0: From WGCU News, this is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canire. The University of Florida's College of Agriculture dates all the way back to 1906, and the University's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, or IFAS, was formed in 1964. Today UF-IFAS has extension offices in each of the state's 67 counties, as well as 12 research and education centers. While UF-IFAS is probably most often associated with growers and farmers and issues around agriculture, their work goes far beyond that, including helping individuals and businesses as well as growers before, during, and after natural disasters like Hurricane Ian. We're joined today by the director of the UF-IFAS Extension Office in Lee County to talk about the work they're still doing helping people recover from Ian's landfall last September. I spoke with David Outerbridge last Thursday. Let's hear that conversation now. David, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. So um, until sitting down to prepare for this, I didn't really realize that you guys were located there at Terry Park, which is just east of downtown Fort Myers, not far from the Clousahatchee River. For starters, how did your facilities fare during Ian?
1: Our facilities fared pretty well. Um, the demonstration gardens there got pretty banged up. Um, but we're co-housed with Parks Administration, and the group there did an amazing job of arranging everything, getting it cleaned up. And actually, the vets from UF were actually housed in Terry Park, just behind the the building um, where we are. Um, And they were down here helping um, with any animals that had been affected by the storm.
0: So no serious damage? No. Um, So most people uh, have heard of IFAS Um, especially our listeners, because we talk to you guys quite a bit. Um, Most people are going to think agriculture. They're going to think, you know, that's what IFAS is. But we're here to talk about hurricane stuff. So clearly, you guys, your, your mission goes beyond agriculture. Just can you explain sort of the scope of the IFAS mission? And then we'll drill down on some Ian issues.
1: Yeah, I hope we have a few minutes. Um, so UF-ISIS extension is very broad-reaching. It started out as agriculture and home economics, um, and it's a way of getting the information and resources from the University of Florida to the communities in Florida part of the land-grant university system. Um, we work, I, I guess the way we frame it now is that we're the switchboard to answers. Hmm. Um, so if you can think of any research going on at University of Florida or more broadly in the world, Um, UF IFIS extension is a place to get answers we work in community resource development we work in food safety um, starting food businesses entrepreneurship um, family nutrition programs so providing good nutrition education to snap eligible populations Um, we have 4-H of course which everybody is familiar with and then I work in sustainable food systems natural resources water issues. And we work with a lot of um, different community organizations to kind of provide that research-based information and provide um, kind of facilitation, strategic planning, all kinds of different other things as
0: well. So much more than food and agriculture.
1: Yes, yes. It's broad-reaching, and it's very difficult to explain. I've explained it to my parents several times, and they still ask me what I do for a living. (laughs)
0: Um, So I was looking through your website, and I came across your disaster handbook. Um, Mm -hmm. That's a fantastic resource that obviously goes much far than food and agriculture. Can you just talk a little bit about that? And we'll kind of just hit some of the highlights because it has things in it like applying for assistance, which is something that we know was a huge issue after Ian was people trying to figure out how to do all that stuff.
1: Yeah, if you can think of anything that's related to your life, um, around a storm, so any impacts that you have. Um, so after the storm, getting assistance, um, connecting with other community in, uh, institutions, uh, water, water testing. We got soil. A lot of questions about soil. Um, just how to prepare for a storm, what to do after a storm. Um, there are a lot of wonderful resources there.
0: Um, what are the main messages that you try to get out to people? Um, you know, during this time of year when we don't have a storm. You know, what is the message to people? You know, not when there's a pending disaster?
1: Um, well, to be prepared ahead of time. Um, you, know, you never know when uh, kind of something unexpected is going to happen. I mean, in any time of year, tornadoes are possible. Uh, severe thunderstorms and flooding, as we see, saw over in, on the other coast, um, what was it, a month or two ago. So it's just to be prepared, to have a, a, a plan of what to do with yourself, your family, your pets, um, and your community
0: around you. So it's it's not just what you should have. It's, it's what steps you might need to take. Um, it's maybe how you should prepare your yard, how you should uh, prepare your trees, you know, maybe pre-prune your trees so they won't break uh, when the storm hits, things like that.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: What about the ag sector? Because you guys do obviously work with growers. Um, you know, what are the lessons or, you know, what are the things that you want growers to be thinking about in terms of preparing for a hurricane. A lot of them have been doing this for a long time, so they probably have their own things they've learned. But what is your messages?
1: Um, well, we just try to provide as much support as we can after a disaster so that we and develop those relationships before the disaster happens so that we can evaluate the impacts of that disaster to get the funding and resources post disaster. Um, we, again, like you say, the growers, and this is the thing, the growers know where they're growing, they know what they're growing, and they know how to grow it, and they know all of the environmental question marks that are out there. So we try to provide them with as many resources as we can to fill in the gaps where where there may be less knowledge, Um, but they're very good at knowing what they're doing. That's how they've been there for as long as they have.
0: So after Ian, uh, talk about the kinds of work that you did with growers when it comes to Um, you know, what they'd just been through and the kinds of need they had?
1: The main thing with growers um, after the storm was getting crops back in the ground. Um, But before they did that, they had to evaluate what had happened, what the impacts of the storm were. So we, along with the Economic uh, Disaster Evaluation Department, uh, headed up by Court at the university, we came in and kind of all of the agents throughout the area went and evaluated the impacts of the disaster, the amount of losses, um, the types of losses, mainly looking at the immediate losses of the crops. And the infrastructure is some of the information we got, but it's really hard to quantify when we look at impacts um, larger because you never know the cost of redoing something and doing it to code, et cetera.
0: Were you out, um, you know, did you visit farms after yourself afterwards?
1: Yeah, I, I got a ride with the Cajun Navy. I went out to Pine Island and met with a few producers there that were having some difficulties. Um, and just kind of evaluated what was going on out there and they again, they had already started recovering, repairing the things that they could and figuring out what the next steps were. The biggest issues out there of course were irrigation they didn't have power out there so they needed to irrigate especially um, some of the uh, producers like fruitscapes um, and you know some of the mango producers you know they had to repair their trees and get power back to their, their property so they could live out there as well.
0: How, um, I don't know if you could put an exact number on this, probably not, but just generally speaking, um, you know, how much of an impact did the growers here in Southwest Florida um, take from Ian? You know, we were the epicenter of the impact.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I saw, when in my evaluations, I saw anywhere from Pretty much 100% losses of everything because what happened in a few places, the water came up from underneath. They had everything battened down from the top, but they didn't expect the flooding. So it lifted everything up and kind of cascaded across the properties. Um, you know, 50 to 100% losses of, of crops um, and, and significant
0: damage. And do they have um, insurance that can cover that in most cases?
1: Um, it's It's varied. Um, you know, crop insurance um, did cover some some producers. Others had, had self-insured um, where, you know, they had 10 years where they did quite well and they, they self-insured and didn't have um, kind of other insurance plans a lot. Went to the USDA looking for insurance and support, FEMA,
0: other things like that. Do you provide resources to help them navigate that process?
1: We do. We do. And we met with a lot of the federal organizations as well as local organizations
0: to kind of communicate what the needs were. Um, had you ever been through anything like this? Were you, here for, you were here for Ian, right?
1: Um, I was here for Ian. Um, I grew up in a place that wh- hurricanes are very familiar um, we had hurricanes kind of every few years when I was a kid.
0: And that was – you said
1: – I'm originally from, from the little Bermuda. island of Bermuda. Bermuda. Yeah. So, OK. Yeah. So, yeah. That's so I'm kind very of a familiar silly with, question. Yeah, Dave,
0: but, David, have you ever been <laughs> near a hurricane before?
1: But but the context in Florida is very different because you have a lot of low-lying areas. You know, the topography is different in where I'm from. But so here, flooding is a real huge risk. Um, the wind damage and the, and the tornadoes, but also just the amount of people here and the amount of people you have to move around when there are impacts is, it's phenomenal. Um, you know the the amount of um, kind of infrastructure that you need. I mean, you were driving around here after the storm. How did how did you interact with it? It took what normally took me about half an hour to drive because all the traffic lights were out. Took about two hours, mm-hmm. and and it was based on how polite you were. Yeah. <laughs> if there yeah. was a National Guard there waving you through.
0: Yeah. Um, if anybody's listening who's moved here since Ian, if we have another storm like that, when the traffic lights go out, the intersections become four-way stops, <laughs> and that's a very important thing to remember. Um, I remember driving around, and like you said, how polite you were. Some people would just disregard that or were unaware of that, and yeah. that was a big deal for yeah. a long time after Ian. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the other thing that was significant that we noticed is getting the, we got as much information as we could out before the storm. But having the cellular network down for as long as we did after the storm, it was really difficult to get resources to people post-storm when they really needed it. Um, as far as education and information on water, on soil, um, and that was a lot of the things we were getting calls on. Areas that had been inundated, was that soil safe? Uh, Stephen Brown, who's our horticulture agent, amazing person, he went out and kind of surveyed and got took soil samples from a lot of the inundated areas to test for salinity and toxins and heavy metals, and they sent it out. Um, we went around, did the farm impacts. We talked to a lot of our community organizations and seeing what they needed as far as education
0: resources also. Are you still working with any people or businesses or growers that are still navigating post-Ian issues, or has that mostly cleared out by now?
1: No, I don't think it's going to clear out for very many years. To give an example, just this year, they pulled the last boat out of the mangroves from Hurricane Michael. Um, wow. And they only had about 3,000 boats in the mangroves. We had maybe five to 8,000 vessels. So we're doing kind of working with the community organizations over mangrove cleanups. Um, we're working – I'm still working with the, the – uh, shrimp industry, the fisheries as well to figure out how docks get repaired and where to get funding from um, to support the industries the coastal industries that were heavily impacted. With the growers, again, it's just about that federal funding timeline and FEMA takes some time. it's two, three years. Um, they are just in the process of declaring a fishery disaster at NOAA as well. Um, so yeah, I think the funding streams and all of those things after the storm and keeping people going, and uh, keeping the information in and communicating between the you know the politicians, the edu- educators, and researchers, and those um, stakeholders that are that are key to keep their businesses going.
0: And as you know, in that area where your offices are, there were a lot of boats in weird places right there <laughs> along the Caloosahatchee River and downtown, and and uh, and there still are. There's still still some boats sitting around that, that I drive past.
1: Yeah, the, there are, and I, and you know working out who is responsible for those boats is another very interesting problem because in some areas it's FWC, others it's the police. It depends on what type of land, whether they're on land, other people's property, and things like that. So even that's gonna take a while to negotiate.
0: Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the Florida Eden? Um, We talked to um, uh, Dr. Angie Lindsay on this show a while back and that's sort of uh, adjacent to or overlapping with what you do, right?
1: Yeah, EDEN stands for Extension Disaster Education Network. Network. There we go. Yeah, I got it all right. All these acronyms. Um, So, yeah, we connected with a lot of other extension agents. So, you know, there's extension offices in 64 counties. There's 12 research centers throughout the state. So a lot of those resources and help came into our area from the Extension Disaster Education education Network. Network. We can just call it EDEN. (laughs) EDEN. We came from EDEN. Um, So we had um, Angie was down here, um, you know, helping out and seeing where she could help. We had other extension agents, livestock agents from Hendry County coming in to help out a lot of our producers. We had from all the coasts and and up north, um, a lot of the extension agents that experienced hurricanes in the past were kind of giving support and information on how best to handle different resources as well as um, kind of delegate information. We had um, extension agents from Manatee and a few other counties calling all of our Master Gardener volunteers to check if they were
0: all right, so really
1: providing a community network as well.
0: She talked about, and it was really interesting, very sort of like on the ground face-to-face kind of things that they did like you know visiting farms to assess damage help with cleanup um, helping find hard to get resources like gas groceries water food for livestock Um, she told a story about um, there was somebody who had a pig that needed to be moved and so she got with her 4-h people and they had a truck that could move the pig beekeepers so so you guys um, you and eden together have your fingers in so many different aspects of our lives here in Southwest Florida.
1: Oh, yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the bees throughout the U.S. that are key to um, almond crops and other things like that are wintered down in Florida. And what had happened was that, you know, the storm was going to go up to Tampa. And so a lot of beekeepers were moving their bees down here to keep them safe. And then the storm turned overnight. So a lot of bees were impacted here and all the flowers were blown off the trees. So they had to bring in the syrups for the bees to keep them going. um, So they still had some nectar. And it was just, it was amazing the amount of support that came in Um, and just connecting people, again, connecting different organizations, federal organizations, state organizations, to make sure that those resources were kind of directed in the right ways. Um, We were out on, Angie was out on Pine Island, you know, taking medicines and and livestock feed out there.
0: Um, Can you think of any lessons that you would say you learned, um, you know, from this experience in terms of how you might? Um, either prepare yourself and your, you know, the IFIS people differently. Um, maybe um, upgrades to your facility, um, and just you know the messaging.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for all organizations that I came into contact with, the mental health training um, to make sure not only that your staff are well trained to deal with other people, but within themselves they can evaluate the impacts of the disaster because those are the kind of things that. We weren't as well trained in. Um, we had to learn from. We had to react to. But being very, because this kind of disaster and the impacts to one's mental health are significant. And and having as much good mental health training and support around would be would be dire in any future storm, as well as being just better prepared in in all aspects. You know, having information and resources so, you know, digitized so you didn't need a cellular network. Um, having paper copies so that you can give them to people and have those in the storm area before the storm hits. Um, All of those things would be, yeah, significant improvements to what happened before. It's not that we didn't have those things. I just don't think we had them ready to the scale that we, I mean, really the scale of Ian was uh, nobody could have been prepared for. Um, that I know, but in the future, definitely would be much more prepared.
0: I'm not sure if it was because of the severity of Ian or because we've had so much of a collective shift in our mindset, but I've covered storms um, back to Charlie. I've lived through storms back to 1980. And this was the first storm where mental health became a centerpiece of the story that was being told after the storm. There were people setting up out on Sanibel and Fort Myers Beach, mental health, you know, places where people can come and just talk to somebody. So it was interesting that you, A, said that and, B, I noted that during the, the days and weeks after Ian that this was the first time that mental health was really part of the conversation in a beneficial way, I thought.
1: Well, yeah, and it helps with the recovery so much if people feel supported, right? And part of that is having, you know, a, a good mental health uh, outlook, a good a – good, Support system within your own
0: community, and your disaster guide has a mental health section in it, right? It does, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yep. Was that there prior to Ian, or has that been added? That since? was there
1: prior to Ian. Um, Angie and and people at the Pie Center put that together. Um, definitely a, a huge
0: resource. Um, last question, and I know this isn't necessarily under your purview, but um, we had a meeting this morning talking about how we're gonna, you know, what we're gonna talk about around the anniversary, and it seems like um, a lot of people who, you know would have a hunker down mindset and went through EN, maybe their home was flooded or maybe their home was washed away if they lived you know, out on the islands. Um, maybe we should shift toward a evacuation mindset more than a hunker down mindset. What are your thoughts on that from you know, the IFAS perspective? If you live in an area that is now we know susceptible to major storm surge.
1: Well, being safe. I think being safe is the key to any storm preparation. And if you're in an area where there's a possibility of being less safe, um, whether that be a coastal area or somewhere, you know, I mean, I think in the center of the state, people didn't realize how much rain was going to fall and they were in a flooding area as well. So a lot of people could have evacuated here and gone and stayed with family in the center of the state and had something similar happen. So you can never be fully, fully prepared. But having a good social network and social capital and being able to adapt as the storm changes would be highly recommended. And again, evacuating areas that are high risk of course, and not taking any risk.
0: I just know, I know a lot of people who lived, you know, maybe on Fort Myers Beach or on Sanibel, who in the past would be like, ah, I'm going to stick it out, because generally speaking, most storms that came were stick outable, if I could, you know, use that <laughs> word. But we saw what happened with Ian, and there was no sticking it out. If you lived on Fort Myers Beach, you were in serious danger if you stayed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of harrowing stories, um, a lot of sad stories about people that, that did stay, and, and I don't think I would en- want anybody that I care about to ever be in that situation um, or be in that situation myself. So definitely you know, have a, a good plan together. And, um, you know,
0: it's a good excuse to go and visit family and friends. (laughs) Well, well, that is all the time we have for this part of the show. But I want to thank my guest, David Outerbridge, is director of the UF-IFAS Extension Office in Lee County. David, thanks for coming in. It's been great to talk to you in person. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mike. We're going to round out the show today with a conversation WGCU's Tara Calligan had on Friday with Esma Oda. She's project director for the Southwest Florida Regional Planning Council. They talked about a local effort to raise awareness about locally produced products and help people make and maintain connections with local farmers to source locally produced things like meat, fish, eggs, produce, mushrooms, and much more. It's called Southwest Florida Fresh. Choose local, choose fresh. Let's hear that conversation now.
2: Hi, Esma Oda. Thank you so much for joining Gulf Coast Life. Thank you, Tara. So Southwest Florida Fresh is, it's a new brand that came about in the wake of Hurricane Irma in 2017. And the idea is to encourage residents to shop locally, to try to help our regional food system become more resilient. I originally spoke with you in September. That was before Hurricane Ian. And at the time, the plan was to launch Southwest Florida Fresh at a farmer's market and then also produce an educational campaign that was going to come out in January of 2023. Uh, But what's happening with Southwest Florida Fresh now?
3: Yeah, so we did have a kickoff campaign start. It was a bit delayed because of the hurricane. I mean, the hurricane, Ian, was just such a devastation to our ag sector in southwest Florida, especially in the rural areas of Glades, Henry, Immokalee, and East Lee County. Um, So a lot of our producers just needed a a breather after uh, a major catastrophic storm like Ian. Um, So we did have a kickoff At the Collier County Agricultural Tour, and that was on March 15th. Uh, We had a beautiful farm to table lunch with Nick Batty, the owner of Inione Organic Farm, and we also passed out local honey um, from Ruby's Honey to uh, the participants on the ag tour. We also attended the Hendry County Farm Tour. Uh, March 11th, and also the Sarasota County Farm and Ranch Tour on the 3rd of March. So we've been attending farm tours regionally uh, just to try to get the word out about Southwest Florida Fresh. Um, a lot of our partners have also had different educational events that they've shared the brand, uh, especially UF We also, you know, like I mentioned uh, when we first spoke, Uh, Really, the brand came out um, following Hurricane Irma and some of the funding that was awarded to the Regional Planning Council. And now, you know, to have that same, uh, you know, have a different hurricane come through and really impact the region just showed how much more important it is to support local Produce and to help make our local economy more resilient to future disasters. Um, So more now than ever, it's important to know your farmer, um, to make these connections with our local producers, to source locally produced items like meat, fish, eggs, um, and so
2: on. Southwest Florida Fresh, choose local, choose fresh. It's a brand and it has its own signature logo. And the motivation behind that was to help make local products more identifiable and recognizable. Is that correct?
3: Yes, that is correct. And we we went through a whole process at the Regional Planning Council to get this uh, trademark through the United States Patent and Trademark Office. In 2022, it was finalized. And, you know, there are Benefits to purchasing local. So, you know, food is more nutritious, it's higher in vitamin and mineral content. Local food just tastes different. It's picked at peak freshness. Um, so if you're able to source local produce and and you can actually taste the difference. Um, there are also environmental benefits. You can reduce your carbon footprint when you do support local producers. And also an economic benefit. Um, you know, you support local producers by keeping the local dollars in our region.
2: Food that is picked locally, that you can eat very quickly after it is grown. I mean, the the taste is really undeniable, and the freshness it it is just it's really obvious.
3: Yes, I agree. And not only are is it you know more beneficial for for us as uh, consumers to purchase more local, but it also helps create a more resilient food economy and really help support these local producers that experienced a lot of loss um, from Hurricane Ian. Um, You know, our ag sector was hit really hard through um, an assessment that UFIFIS did. There was a crop loss ranging from 690 million to, you know, 1.25 billion um, and then just in infrastructure, so greenhouses or sheds, uh, things that help the production side of the agricultural system lost anywhere from $1.2 to $1.9 billion. Um, So I think now more than ever, to make Southwest Florida more resilient, it's important to really meet your farmer, know your farmer, and create those relationships with them.
2: Going to a grocery store for some places in Southwest Florida is very difficult. In others, it's not. You can find a Publix, you can find, you know, uh, different stores, Aldi's very accessible and nearby. So what would the motivation be then to want to steer more towards something that is locally produced, locally grown, as opposed to something I could just grab off the shelf?
3: I think just some of the benefits that we discussed previously, if you're more invested in your health. And well-being, food that's picked at peak freshness has more vitamin and mineral content than things that have been shipped from outside of the United States, or even things that have been, you know, in a sitting in a truck for a few days. Um, they tend to lose their nutritional, their nutritional content, and not only that, the taste—it's not as fresh. So really, I would I would say that those are the the reasons to purchase more locally Um, and also just to invest in our local economy. Um, If we want to be prepared for future disasters, uh, having those relationships with producers is very vital for our region.
2: When we spoke in September, around 20 local producers were involved under the Southwest Florida Fresh umbrella. But what's your roster looking like now?
3: Yes. So now we've increased, we've gone from 20 to 31 producers and we're hoping to get more producers involved. Uh, We have a few more producers that sell mushrooms, uh, honey, local honey. Um, So we're really excited to work with some of our producers and help them get on the website. We also have a few nurseries that sell uh, tropical fruit. Um, And we're just really excited to share the brand with producers, We also have an upcoming meeting with the Small Farmers Network on July 19th at Fruitscapes in Boquilio, and we're really hoping to connect with existing and established farmers um, and also new farmers and anyone that's interested in meeting and discussing with these farmers, learning more about their work and, and how they feed our community.
2: You know, I'm looking at your website. I see producers there. It's alligator meat. There are microgreens. There's honey, like you said. What are some of the other maybe more unexpected items that people wouldn't really know are grown right here in Southwest Florida?
3: I think they're surprisingly um, a wide variety of mushrooms. So like, for instance, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to find lion's mane mushroom in the grocery store, whereas you can if you go to a local producer. You know, most of the times you go to Aldi's or local retail stores and they have baby Bella mushroom. Whereas, you know, if you go to the, straight to the producer, you're able to try oyster mushrooms, which I, I think is very exciting, or lion's mane and, and all these different varieties. Um, there are also a lot more varieties uh, that, of fruit uh, and vegetables that you wouldn't necessarily find in these stores that you could purchase from producers.
2: In what way did Hurricane Ian impact the plans that you had with Southwest Florida Fresh? As we were mentioning before, it really hit a lot of growers or pretty much everyone quite hard here in our area.
3: Yes, it really delayed our plans for the implementation of the brand. We really weren't able to get out um, and meet people. Um, We weren't really able to register producers on our website as quickly as we really anticipated and planned prior to this uh, launch of the brand. Um, So it really impacted that and delayed us. Uh, And I I think, you know, when you and I first talked, um, you know, we were really awarded these state and federal grants to look for sustainable ideas and solutions for these small to medium sized farms in southwest Florida and develop new markets and increase their revenues for local farms because of the loss that they suffered from Hurricane Irma and now a much more devastating loss from Hurricane Ian. And this was across all commodity groups. So from citrus to fruit and tree nuts, vegetables, melons, and animals were all really impacted. Uh, And the agricultural tours and some of the agro-tourism opportunities that are uh, available, I think were very helpful for our local residents to really understand vegetable and fruit cattle operations Um, and really learn about the rich ag history of each of these counties within our region. Uh, Because, you know, Florida prides itself on its beaches. So I I think that it's very important for uh, people living here that they are also aware that we have amazing producers that produce food um, even during the times for the rest of the nation when they're in winter season, Amokley uh, and these other rural counties produce most of their food.
2: Since the implementation of the brand of Southwest Florida Fresh, how are you moving forward? What's happening now uh, that we are getting into the summer months? And does that impact our producers a little bit differently?
3: It does now that we've really moved towards the end of our vegetable production season. We're now moving into fruit production, which I think is exciting. Uh, So we're hoping to get more of the fruit growers on the website. So mangoes, lychee, jackfruit growers, um, and and really Florida has a very rich uh, tropical fruit commodity and and sharing that with, with residents I think will be very exciting. And the upcoming meeting at Fruitscapes Uh, will be great because they're able to see multiple varieties of mangoes and multiple varieties of even avocados that are grown there. Um, We do have two upcoming fall ag tours in Charlotte and Sarasota County, so I'm really looking forward to those. Uh, Typically, they're done in the peak of the season, so it'll be really interesting to visit these operations when they're really in the beginning of their season. We're also going to continue our comprehensive marketing campaign across the six counties uh, and really try to push the brand out there and really help both the producers and our resident community members to recognize this brand and recognize the products that these producers are creating within the six county region. Um, If anyone's interested in keeping up with the brand, please be sure to follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter on our website. We also have a chat function on our website, so if anyone has any questions, they can feel free to reach out or they can contact me, myself, directly, and I can provide you my email address and my contact information. Um, We're also looking to update the farmer's market locations each year. So during the summer, when we do have a little bit of downtime, we're really hoping to get the most up-to-date locations for our community members um, and also the latest food access locations.
2: Fantastic. It sounds like the brand is really starting to gain some momentum and take off. Because when you think of a brand, how is that really going to help Producers or people locally creating uh, things that we can eat here from Southwest Florida. How is that really going to help? Uh, and that was my initial question, I believe, when I heard about the brand and, and spoke with you in September. Uh, and really, yes. it's that unified voice, if I'm not mistaken, right?
3: Yes, I agree. I, I believe finding a, a middle ground for both our community members and for our producers will not only be beneficial, benefit, benefit uh, you know our economy but also benefit community members' health and well-being. Um, When you eat more local, you are consuming more nutritious foods that are more fresh and picked at uh, peak freshness. Um, And I think it's very important now more than ever to support our regional economy.
2: Esma, thank you so much for your time. Anything else about Southwest Florida Fresh, choose local, choose fresh that you'd like to share with our audience before we go?
3: I would just like to thank the Southwest Florida uh, Regional Planning Council because without their uh, undivided support, uh, this brand and these projects that we're working on for the food system would not be possible. So I would like to thank them.
2: Esma Oda is the project director for the Southwest Florida Regional Planning Council. Thank you again for your time and for letting us know more about Southwest Florida Fresh. Thank you,
3: Tara.
0: You can hear their full conversation and links to more information about the work they do and ways to connect with local producers on our website, wgcu.org GCL. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Connery. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island, 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.